Amen. God bless you guys. Good morning. Aren't you glad to be in this season? I love this season. November 1st, man, we decorated at the house. It's uh, couldn't wait to get that stupid Halloween out of the way, get straight to Christmas. And we were briefly interrupted for Thanksgiving, <laughs> and uh, we're back into it. Um, hey, by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, and I'll even extend the invitation, if you don't have a Bible that you enjoy reading, something that helps you engage with the Word, we'll let you have one of these for free. It's called Dancing in the Desert Devotional Bible. It's um, a really good Bible, and it's a nice one, a hardback. And uh, there's three on that back table, like the little self-serve uh, communion table. And if we run out back there, I believe we've got several at the connection kiosk. So if you just don't have one, um, you can just say, hey, Pastor Chris said I could grab one of those Dancing in the Desert Bibles from you, and um, love for you to have that for free. So this was a good week for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, if you walk around and ask people, how's your Thanksgiving? Uh, I promise you that 99, maybe 100% of people will tell you it was, it was good. It was, you know, it was good. Uh, whether it was or wasn't, they'll tell you it was good. And the reason I say that whether it was or wasn't is because we know that this is one of the most stressful times of the year, and depression increases uh, significantly during this time of the year. The holidays are not always enjoyable for all people. According to polls and surveys, the top three causes for stress all year long that are amplified and exasperated during this time of the year uh, in our lives, you're not going to be surprised when I give you the top three things. It's money, work, relationships. Those are the top three stressors in our life all year long, and they uh, switch places uh, depending on maybe what season you're going through, but there's a likelihood that you can trace whatever stress, anxiety, depression, uh, frustration, anger, uh, whatever deep, unpleasant emotion that you're feeling, uh, there's a pretty good chance that it's related to one of those three things. And here's what those three things have in common. Are you ready? People. So the stresses at work are statistically most related to work relationships. You are in conflict or you're having difficulty with a boss or a coworker. When it comes to money, the number one reason for marriages divorcing is conflict over money. You would probably be able to say that when it comes to the arguments that you have in your home, that in some way they're connected to finances, prioritizing. One person wants to spend differently than the other. One person is feeling the weight of carrying all the financial responsibilities while the other seems to be carefree and spending all of the money. And those are the kind of things that cause anxiety. And then, of course, all the different kinds of relationships that we have, from our marriages to our relationships with our parents to our... Listen, if you think... Kids, if there's any kids in the room, if you think the moment you turn 18 or 21 or get married or move out or have your own career or have your own car, if you think that that ends the difficulty in your relationship with your parents, you are wrong. Because whatever dynamics were developed during your upbringing years, those dynamics continue. And if you have some sort of 
uh, resentment or hard feelings or you're feeling painful about uh, things that were said to you or the way that you were raised or unresolved conflicts, those continue on into adulthood and they significantly complicate the relationships you have outside of your birth home, right? Your relationships with your kids, those who have kids, you know how difficult it is raising them and when they become adults, it's even more difficult because you realize that your relationship of influence has uh, transitioned significantly. You are only an influencer by invitation alone. So when you uh, offer your opinions and your ideas, your thoughts, your advice without solicitation, it is not met well. And then you feel discarded, devalued. Now, Every one of those things, uh, no matter what they're related to, is connected to a person that matters to us in some way. Um, Between family trauma, between betrayals by friends, uh, or maybe even a betrayal by a spouse, between conflict with coworkers or wounds caused by Uh, somebody that matters to us, possibly even something that's happened here at church. Um, It feels like we would enjoy our lives much more. It feels like we would love our marriage, we would love work, we would love our family if it just weren't for the people. There's a joke in ministry, I love ministry if it just weren't for the people. And that comes from a lot of wounded pastors who love doing this and love helping people and love serving people, but hate all the messiness and yuckiness that comes from people, right? And I'd love to tell you today that I have a message in which I'm going to be able to equip you to change the people around you to do what they're supposed to do to help alleviate the stresses and feelings and anxiety and depression and all of the ugliness that comes from how those people behave in your life and it negatively affects you. I'd love to be able to send you into the holidays and say, I can give you tricks that will make people behave well in your life. I'm going to teach you how to, how to do these little psychological movements that make people act emotionally and mentally healthy, maybe for the first time in their lives. (laughs) I'm going to show you how to elicit unconditional love from your parents or your spouse or your kids. I'm going to tell you how to make people sincerely supportive of your life, even if they disagree with it. I'm going to teach you to make them expressively encouraging and supportive to you when they've only been really negative and degrading. And um, that would be wonderful if I could do that. Um, Make them act without the slightest bit of dysfunction or toxicity. Hmm. Unfortunately, you have people in your life and where there are people, they are bringing to you their own pain, their own dysfunction, their own toxicity that they're processing, working through, experiencing, possibly and hopefully fighting. 
You see, they're sort of a product of all of their experiences, all of their upbringings. They're looking at everyone around them, hoping they'll change and make their life easier. So you're just encountering a bunch of people like you and like me, who unfortunately can't be for each other what we all wish we could be for each other. So I've got something even better that puts you in 100% control of all of these anxieties, all these stresses, all of these triggers that make your life difficult, unpleasant, and even worse during the holidays, okay? And it's 100% dependent on you and you alone. So there is no one who is responsible or to blame for whether or not this is a success other than you. And the really good news is you can do this. You can leave here today doing all of this, okay? So I'm going to teach you how to stop hating all the things that you hate so badly about the relationships that are causing so much pain, resentment, frustration, and stress in your life. So grab your notes if you don't already have them out uh, to our online campus. You can uh, follow along in your app, or you guys can follow along in your app right here too as well. I'll be free of the things I hate about relationships when I start, number one, changing the way I meet expectations. Changing the way I meet expectations. So there's a saying that says, expectations are premeditated resentments. Expectations are premeditated resentments. So when we have an expectation of somebody, at the very least, it's a premeditated disappointment. We place on somebody an expectation that they're going to do things the way we would want them to do it, and they will ultimately and almost guaranteed they'll fail at meeting our expectation or at least meeting it at the level that we think they should. And so as a result of that, we're going to feel a sense of disappointment, and then we're not going to feel a sense of really remorse or discouragement or frustration that they didn't meet it. We, they, they don't seem to care that they didn't meet our expectation. And then we're going to resent them for not caring about not meeting our expectation. Every one of your friends, your boss, your spouse, your parents, your kids, the people you go to church with here are going to have expectations for you, for how you're going to prioritize your life, how you're going to live your life, how you're going to believe, uh, how you're going to act towards them. I remember being at a church in uh, Fair Oaks, and uh, Sunday mornings are busy for our teams, right? So on Sunday mornings, uh, Heather, Lisa, Pastor Dan, Pastor Jamie, Pastor Jared, uh, myself, Jess, all, all of our team are, 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 are busy, Emily. They're all doing something and getting ready. <clears throat> and so inadvertently, that busyness can translate into relational disconnection. If we're on task, you know, we're running to get to this thing so it can get done before everybody shows up and we don't start service without, you know, the TV in place and the sound ready to go and everybody's doing their thing. And I was in that mode and I remember a guy stopped me, his name was John, and he said, do you, do you not like me? And I said, I, what, I'm, John, I'm confused. What? Do you not like me? And, and his girls were in our youth ministry, and we were very close to his, his girls. We liked their family a lot. And he says, I just don't think you like me. And I said, I don't, I do like you though. And he goes, well, you don't act like you like me. And I said, what, John, I'm so sorry. What, 
have I done a thing that makes you feel that way? On Sunday mornings, you, you literally just walk by me and at the best I'll get is a higher good morning. And I realized for him that was enough to communicate dislike, that he just didn't think I cared for him at all. What John didn't know is I had done that to 250 other people that morning as well. And I liked all of them too. I'm not saying that I shouldn't stop and be more intentional to say hello and look more friendly and, and, and seem like I care like about people more than I care about tasks. That is a reasonable thing uh, for me to do. But I hadn't met John's expectations, and he was frustrated by that, and I think he resented that I didn't show him the value he believed that he deserved. And there are people in your life right now who have expectations of you that you're not meeting. The problem is that all of those expectations are likely different, and they are going to contradict each other. This person expects you to be one way, and this person expects you to be a different way, both of them believing that their expectation is fair and reasonable for you, that person in their life that holds some level of importance, and more importantly than that, it's going to contradict what your priorities and values are. So their expectation is that you do this when your expectation and value and purpose is to do something completely different. I sit with young people who are getting ready to get married all the time, and one of the first questions I ask is, where are you guys spending your first Christmas? Because I promise you, your parents are expecting you to be with them, and your parents are expecting you to be with them. Oh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about, well, you better talk about that quick. Because I'm promising you, you're going to fail to meet the expectations of people. And then you're going to carry around the weightiness and the ugliness of all of that because you're going to find yourself at war with the expectations of others. Now, I'm going to tell you how to be free from the expectations of people. And I'm just going to warn you, they're not going to be happy about it. Because unmet expectations is going to feel very unfair to them. It's going to feel hostile. It's going to feel unloving. But I'm telling you, the goal is to set you free from it. And this is not meant to cause problems. It likely will. But I promise you, if you lock yourself into this, you're going to find out that your life and ultimately the people you're in relationship with are going to be much, much happier. Listen to what Paul says. He breaks free from the expectations of other people in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, okay. Right. For we speak as messengers approved by God... To be in he's establishing that he doesn't need their approval for this. He's already been approved of God. Not arrogance, confidence in his calling. We speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news, the message about Christ. Our purpose, our reason, our calling is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Paul's not trying to start a war with the church. Of Thessalonica, he's simply telling them, if I try to please all of you, there's no possible way to do that. I don't need you to approve of what I'm doing. God approves of what I'm doing. And truthfully, God's the only one that can examine whether I'm doing it for the right reasons. You don't get to do that. 
I don't even get to do it for my own life. I can't say my motives are pure because they're probably not. God tells me whether my motives are pure. Paul says, I don't live to please people. I live to please God. That is incredibly liberating. Because nobody in their right mind who's healthy or reasonable, or especially those who are a Christ follower, could argue that pleasing God is far more important than pleasing men. And men includes all of us. No person could go, well, it's more important that you please your father and I, or your mother and I, or your family. It's more important you please us than please God. Or they'll try and convince you that whatever God's asking you to do is not God's will for you. Their will for you is God's will for you. Galatians 1.10 says this. Do you think I care about... This is... He's writing to a whole other church with the same broken expectations. Do you think I care about the approval of men or about the approval of God? You think I'm on a mission to please people? Listen, if I'm still spinning my wheels trying to please people, then there's no way I can be a servant of the anointed one, the liberating king. Paul establishes that there's no way I can follow my calling to please God because it's going to contradict with the expectations that people have on my life and the expectations I have for my own life. I have to find out what God's purpose is for me and live that out. And I'm going to tell you the most liberating thing that you can do for yourself is stop trying to meet the expectations of people. Better yet, set their expectations that your life is about pleasing God. And you're going to be intentional to be in the ear of God and say, Lord, I want to know your will for my life. I want to know your purpose for my life. In this decision, in this day, everything I do, I want it to glorify you. I want to delight myself in you so that I can get the desires of my heart. I want to align my will with your will, and I want to align my expectations with your expectations. And then you go about your day doing that, and I'm going to tell you there's going to be a bunch of very unhappy people. When I worked at CarMax for those few brief months when we had come home from a <clears throat> very rough situation, a ministry experience in Arizona, and uh, before we came on staff here, and uh, I just was trying to find something, just something to bring in income, and I was a terrible car salesman. And I'm going to tell you why. I was super friendly. I had the highest customer satisfaction uh, scores of the entire store even after I worked there because surveys kept coming in. They loved me. I was terrible at selling cars. And I'm going to tell you how those two things don't reconcile with each other. Is I would talk people out of buying cars because I couldn't stand to see people get further in debt. They came in, they were $10,000, $15,000 upside down underwater in their car. They owed more on their car or on their loan than their car was worth. And they were going to roll that ten dollars or $15,000 into their new car loan. And then they'd be $20,000 in upside down equity. And I would just say, listen, you said you can afford this payment. So just double down on your payment for the next year and a half. You'll come in here and you won't have any debt on the car. It'll be, uh, it, if not paid off, at least you'll get rid of all that negative equity. And then you'll start fresh. Doesn't that sound a lot better than getting further and further and further into debt? And they'd go, oh my gosh, yes, thank you. And they'd get up and they'd walk out. And my boss would go, what happened to them? <clears throat> and I said, oh, I told them not to buy the car. Why would you do that? Well, because I didn't want to see them get further into debt. You're not their financial advisor. And here's what I'd say. I believe that God is going to bless me because I kept them from going further into debt. And they'd go, 
and walk away because they just didn't know. They're like, I think I'll get sued if I say something at this point. Change people's expectations by living by the expectations of God. Number two is this. I'll be free of the things I hate about relationships when I start practicing single-party forgiveness. So speaking of unmet expectations and anger and disappointment, resentment, hurt, we cannot ask people to surrender their unmet expectations and all of their feelings that we didn't meet their expectations that others have of us when we ourselves are carrying around the hurts and frustrations, disappointments, and resentments of people not meeting our expectations. Does that make sense? It goes both ways. You can't break off people's ability or need to put expectations on you, then feel badly when you don't meet those expectations when we do that exact same thing. There's a real good possibility that you are feeling something about someone, and it could be someone from your uh, distant past, a parent, a, 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 a relative, a teacher, a pastor, a friend, a sibling, a spouse. They've hurt you deeply, and it's very, very difficult for you to let go of that. And the reason it's very difficult for you to let go of that, even if it's a recent one, is because they haven't apologized. They haven't repented. They haven't said they were sorry. They haven't changed their ways. They haven't taken ownership of how deeply they've hurt you or upset you or betrayed you. And all of those things may be real. All of those things may be absolutely true that they did all those things. It's just they have not finished that process. Because we carry this idea that forgiveness is transactional. That you do something to offend me, I take offense, right? That's my part. I'll do my part well. I'll be offended by what you did, what you said, what you didn't do. You should have done this. You didn't do this. You did this. You said this the wrong way. I'll take offense to that. You'll see that I'm offended because I don't talk to you. I pout. I slam cabinet doors. Whatever it is, right? I cut off communication. Somehow I let you know I'm disappointed. Then you grovel. You sincerely repent. You change your wicked ways. You understand how lucky you are to be in relationship with me. You ask for my forgiveness. And then I wave my holy hand. And I wave my hand of grace and mercy that you're so privileged and, and should be grateful that I would forgive you and then we're restored relationship. That may be a little hyperbolic, that may be a little exaggerated, but that's essentially what we believe that the exchange of forgiveness and, 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 uh, and offense should look like. But that's actually not at all it. In order for you to be able to live free of the pain and the weight you're carrying around, and by the way, they're probably not. They're living their, life, they're living their best lives while you're walking around with all this pain and hurt. Let me read a passage to you in Isaiah 43, 25. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to Israel. He says, I, I am the one, me, I'm the one who wipes away all your sins, and I do this to please myself, to make me happy. I will not remember your sins. This is God telling them, you don't do anything for me to wipe away your sins. I do all of that. And the reason I do it is because it's good for me. 
because I'd rather be in a loving relationship with you. I'd rather not be angry at you. I'd rather walk around not angry at all. And so I forgive you because it pleases me to do that. And in order to do that, I've just chosen not to remember your sins. It's not that your sins didn't happen. It's not that they weren't hurtful. It's not that you didn't know that you were doing something painful. It's just I've chosen to let all of that go because I'll have to carry the weight while you walk around feeling good about yourself. And he says, so I just release you from that. And you say, well, that's good for God. He can do that. He's God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He can control what he knows and what he doesn't know. He can let all of that go. But listen, God says, you're not giving yourself enough credit. You can do it too. Not only can you do it, I'm going to require that you do it because I did it for you. And I've enabled you to do it for others as well. Listen to Colossians 3.13. It says, put up with one another. Forgive one another. If you're holding something against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. God will not ask you to do anything he hasn't equipped you to do. Not saying it's going to be easy, not saying it won't take time, but I'm telling you that God has required of us that we release others like he's released us. And this is where you go, well, I can't forget it. That's probably true. It's probably true that you can't not know that it happened. But you can forget it on the level that you say, I will not act as if this is any longer something that affects me. I will forget the punishment I want to see them face for what they did to me. I will forget the pain I want to see them go through because of the pain I went through. I want to forget about my plan to get redemption and, and for them to repent to me and for them to change and be what I need them to be. I'm going to forget about all of that. And I'm going to remember what God did for me. Listen, Proverbs 17, 9. This is how relationships are kept whole. You will keep your friends and family in close relationships if you forgive them, but, if you'll, uh, but you'll lose your friends if you just keep talking about or thinking about or dwelling on what they did wrong. Listen, you can ruin every friendship you want by holding against them all of their sins against you. You can do that, but you're going to ruin every friendship. You say, so what? They just keep getting to do it? Well, According to Jesus, yeah. Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive this schlub who just won't stop offending me? I mean, what, seven times, Lord? And Jesus goes, no, you dummy, not seven times. Gosh, that's ridiculous. How about 70 times 70? How about an infinite number that you lose track of? Because that's how I'll forgive you. Third and finally is this. I'll be free of the things I hate about relationships when I start living so that my love is felt, not feared. Let me tell you what that means. Um, there's a saying that I cringe when I see it, and I'm seeing it a lot more lately, and the saying is this, there's no hate like Christian love. You seen that? There's no hate like Christian love. And it's cringeworthy because we have become known the church, Christianity, has become known in the modern context for the exact opposite thing of what Jesus said we would be known for, and that's love for each other. 
Love. Love should be the identifying mark of every church. Love. Not our politics, not where we stand on social issues, not our position on what's happening in the news, not vocalizing every time we see something that triggers us on social media, not the candidate that we believe is going to ruin the nation or save the nation. We're not to be known for any of that, none of it. Over and 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 over again, Jesus tells us that it's love. And we're not known for that. The truly insane thing is that we become messengers of anger and hatefulness and meanness and judgment and condemnation all under the premise, all under the banner of loving God. We say we do this because we're Christ followers. Have people who are not sincerely Christ followers hijacked the name of Christianity in order to have a a political uh, hammer in their hands? Absolutely. The problem is that sincere followers of Christ have stepped in line with them. Listen to 1 John 4, 16 through 18. We know how much God loves us because we have felt his love. And because we believe him when he tells us that he loves us dearly. God is love. And anyone who lives in love, who practices that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 love, is living with God in relationship with God as God is living in him. And as we live with Christ, we continue relationship with Christ, our love continues to grow into perfection, completeness, wholeness, not not without error, but wholeness and complete. So we will not be ashamed and embarrassed. In in other translations, we'll use the word afraid at the day of judgment. We won't fear judgment from God because of how we've lived our life. But we can face him with confidence and joy because he loves us and we love him too. Notice the identifier, love. We need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. We don't need to fear God because his love for us is perfect, complete. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we're afraid, it's for fear of what he might do to us. And it shows that we're not fully convinced that he really loves us. Did you get the theme, by the way, in that passage? If you didn't, 10 times in five sentences, John uses the word love, love. Here's how God loves. This is what love looks like. We don't have to fear God because of his love. If we're not convinced of his love, it's because we fear that his love is not complete in our life. Love, 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 love. And here's the problem that you and I have with that passage is that when people encounter us, they feel something other than love. They feel dread and fear of judgment and condemnation and hate and meanness. That's what they feel from us because that's what's being sent out to them. 
we know that God loves us because we feel love from God. And it's a perfect, amazing, wonderful love. It's sacrificial. It's humble. It's gentle. It's compassionate. It's kind. It's tender. Every good thing you could say about love, that is the complete love of God. And we feel that on us. It's like when you you go out and it's cold all around you, but you get inside your car and the heat of the sun has trapped itself inside your car and you just sit there in the warmth of your car, surrounded by coldness, you feel the warmth of the sun. It makes it real. A sun that is distant and doesn't warm you That's not a son that you can be in relationship with, right? That's not a son that you look forward to seeing, but one that you feel its effects. And that is the love of God. And that's the love that if we project onto everyone, if we prioritize that, I can't change what any other church in this city, in this state, in this country, or in the world does. But with whatever time is left for God to grant me the honor of pastoring this church, I'm going to tell you that we will be marked by love. And one of the most loving things that I can do is if you are a hateful, mean-spirited, judgmental, condemning, fill in your blank for whatever word I probably shouldn't say in church. If you're like that, the most loving thing I can do for our community, for the body of Christ and for this church is use my 10 and a half triple wide and send you out the door. Because a good shepherd doesn't let hate contaminate the goodness of love. It cuts cancer out and cancer like that spreads so, so quickly. It metastasizes so, so quickly. If you want to change the way that you see the world, start loving the world the way Jesus loved the world. Listen to what 1 Peter 4.8 says. Above all, maintain an intense love. I looked this up in probably 12 different translations. And each one of them said something different right here, but it was always love. The word they put in front of it was always different. They were trying to communicate, the translators, how deep that love needed to be. Maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. And in a bunch of other translations, it says this, love enables you to forgive the sins of others. Can I tell you how you feel the love of God? It's because he chose to cover you. He gave everything, experienced pain, rejection, heartbreak, took on the sins of the world so that you could feel the love of God. In modern Christianity, we do very, very little that inconveniences us so that people can feel the love of God. Put aside your own wants, put aside your own needs, put aside your own, your own expectations, put aside your own need to be heard and to be right about things and love people. I'll close with this. I um, had to run out to sort of the Citrus Heights area. We were meeting at Lisa's family at Fair Oaks and I had to run by Sam's Club there and get something and, uh, and then we were going to all meet at a, a movie and and uh, I, I ran to this Taco Bell that I used to go to a long time ago. And, 
And uh, I get out and there's a homeless guy and he's leaning up against the wall and he's, uh, he's got his shirt off and it's kind of cool. So it, it, I mean, that's not cool that he's got a shirt off. It was, it was cool outside. And, uh, and he's got some keychain or something that's got all these colors. And he says, I've got a bunch of colors. And I said, oh, right on. That's cool. And then he said something else. And then um, I said, hey, I'm going in to get some food. Do you want something while I'm in there? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. And I said, what, uh, what do you want? And he said, whatever you're eating is fine. And uh, I said, uh, well, what do you like to drink? And he said, can, can, I'll, I'd like a Coke. And I said, well, Taco Bell has Pepsi. Is that okay? And he said, no. And I laughed like you did, and he didn't. And I said, oh, for real? That's not okay? <laughs> like, I'm a diehard Diet Coke guy, and even I'll just go, ah, it's free. I'll take a Diet Pepsi. But he was like, no, uh, I'll take a Dr. Pepper. And I said, right on. And I said, what's your name? He said, Spencer. I said, Spencer, I'm Chris. So I walk up and the doors are locked. And uh, I look in and I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and they go, and I go, like, what? That's not a response. Come with a key and open the door. And there's a guy in there sitting at a table eating. Like, and I go, hey, Spencer, they locked the doors. I'm going to have to go through drive through I'll bring your food back around. And Spencer goes, oh, I think they locked it because of me. <laughs> And uh, I said, oh, all right. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll go around and I'll bring it. And he goes, I'll put my shirt back on. And I go, no need, Spencer. <laughs> you seem comfortable. Please don't get dressed up for me. And uh, so then I went through line and they said, uh, hey, we're only taking mobile orders and DoorDash. And I was like, what alternate universe am I in? Is Taco Bell that overwhelmed with business? And so I drive back around and I get out and I say, Spencer, man, it is not your day, bro. They are only taking mobile orders and DoorDash. And um, so I said, I can't get you food, but I take some money and I hand them money. And uh, I just say, I'm sorry, buddy. You're going to have to find something to eat on your own. And Spencer said, thank you, Chris. That may not mean a lot to you, but it meant something to me that I made a connection with a real person. Spencer likely has some abuse issues, maybe some mental health issues, but Spencer's a person. And in order for me to have that kind of interaction with a Spencer, I have to set aside my judgments of him, of why he's there, and maybe why he deserves being there. And maybe because of his own choices and his own refusal of help. Because every time I'd go back and circle back, Spencer was in a conversation with himself. Right? So I knew there was probably mental health issues. But Spencer gets hungry and gets thirsty and above all craves someone that will value him right there where he's at without changing a thing, without performing, 
without doing anything to impress me, without proving that he's not going to use the money for something else. He didn't need to do anything to be loved. It's all I could do in that moment to show love to him is know his name, talk to him like a human being, and try and meet a need in his life. And I want you to move that now into every other person in your life who may not have maybe a mental health issue, who may not have an addiction issue, but has a very, very real need in their life that has messed with them so deeply and they are craving someone to feed them value and love and worth, forgiveness and mercy and understanding and compassion and kindness and tenderness. They're begging for it, and the church is failing to feed the needs of people. And I'm calling you, this church, I'm calling you to step up and do something about it. Change the way you interact with the world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I I just want you to have a moment to do something with all of this, with all of it. The expectations of people. You will never successfully meet those. And so change everybody's expectations and put your life on path to please God. And I'm telling you, pleasing God won't make you a monster or a jerk to anyone. Pleasing God, if anything, makes you the loving person I just talked about. God is pleased with us when we're forgiving, when we're loving when we're compassionate, when we see each other the way he sees us. Because I want to tell you something, before I got there and before I loved on Spencer, God has been loving on him all along and sees his value and sees his worth and sees what he hungers for. He sees his brokenness and he loves him still. And all I'm asking you is if you will today Decide that you're going to please God, forgive people, and start letting people feel a love from you that they don't fear, but fills them with hope, with value, with worth, with promise. If that's you and you want to say yes to that, just shoot your hand up and say, yeah, I, I want to be there. I know it's going to take time. I know it's going to take God helping me. I want to be there. Yeah. Thank you, God, for every person that raised their hand and pray for everybody, God, who's on their journey to get to that place. We all need your help. No matter where we're at, we all need your help. This doesn't come naturally to us. Our nature is to judge. When David was being anointed as king, the prophet told his uh, family to bring out everyone because he, he began to look on each one and wonder which one was worthy, which one looked like they could be king. And God spoke to the prophet and said, I don't judge men like you do. You judge on the outside. I judge what's on the inside and we don't know what's on the inside of somebody the hurt the pain the need the hunger 
but we do know this, that the answer to that is love. The whole, complete, perfect love of Christ. And so that's what we want to be ready to feed everyone we encounter. We can't worry ourselves with the expectations of people, and we can't carry the weight of unforgiven offenses to us in order for people to feel love. And so, God, we lay that at your feet, and we ask for real change to happen even today as we move into this week and encounter people that are going to challenge the decision we made today. We believe for it that by next week, things will be completely different in our lives just because of the changes that we make today. In your name we pray, amen.